This is Emily Wright, and I'm joined today by Greg Williams, Deputy Editor and, as of the 1st of February, Editor of Wired Magazine. Hello, how are you? Very good. How are you doing, Emily? I'm good, thanks, and congratulations on the new role. Thank you. So you're going to be joining us on the 19th of January at our first Tomorrow Talk, part of the Tomorrow Fair at the Design Museum, and you're going to be talking specifically then about cybersecurity. Yes, I am. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's very kind of pertinent, given the kind of the news cycle at the moment. We're recording this... I think a couple of days after the uh, Russian, uh, alleged Russian hack has been discussed by our incoming president. Yeah, timely and something I'm sure everyone's going to um, really look forward to listening to. For now then, it would be great to have a chat around the future in general, yep. which is an incredibly broad term. But working for a brand which has always had this focus on the future, yep. on future technologies, on trends, how exponential and rapid are the leaps forward that we're seeing in technology compared to what we've seen historically. Is is this the time for the future, or do we just forget what's happened in the past? Yeah, I think, it, I think it's, always, it's, it's always interesting, isn't it? Because every kind of generation, every society have a sense of, has a sense of what the future is. And, you know, for a long time, I think our version of the future was very much about kind of people on hoverboards and people wearing sort of silver suits, very kind of 1950s view of the future. And I think that what's interesting now is that it's quite hard for a lot of people, even people who spend all their days thinking about what's coming next to know exactly specifically what's going on simply because of the pace of technological change. If you look at kind of the way that technology has evolved, you know, for over the last sort of few thousand years, it was always linear, it was always incremental. One thing followed another, usually quite slowly. Today I think that, you know, it is a bit of a Silicon Valley cliche, but it's pretty clear that, you know, development of technology is no longer incremental it's no longer linear it's what they you know people at singularity university in these kinds of places in silicon valley like to talk about as exponential Uh, and obviously you know if you kind of like start you know multiplying numbers exponentially that just the, the curve is incredibly steep and progress is very quick and what that is largely based on is something called moore's law which is a kind of basic law of computing that I'm sure some of your listeners might have heard of. Uh, this guy called Gordon Moore, who's one of the founders of, of Intel, and he came up with a law which basically says that processing power, so that's the power you know in your uh, in, in your phone or in your uh, any kind of computer chip, it doubles in power or it halves in price every 18 months. So what that means is that we are finding ourselves capable of putting so much more processing power into the hands of people than we've ever been able to before. So if you think about something like a good one, a good comparison, which is, is kind of one that I kind of like often like to think about, is that if you think back to 1969, July 1969, the Apollo uh, 11 um, sort of pro, the Apollo program, particularly Apollo 11, the uh, Apollo guidance computer display in the keyboard interface it weighed about 70 pounds it had a processor speed of about one megahertz a memory of roughly four kilobytes and it cost hundreds of millions of dollars to build programmed by someone called margaret hamilton at the mit uh, at mit you can contrast that with something that probably most of your listeners will own which is a late model smartphone so if you take the iphone 6 for instance that weighs uh, just under four ounces. It's got a processor speed of around 1.4 gigahertz, a memory of around four, gig- uh, sorry, 64 gigabytes. That's the one I've got, and it'll cost you whatever, 300, 400 pounds, something like that. So what that means, mass fans in the uh, in, in your listenership will have figured out that that means that the phone that your 
listener has in their pocket, they have access to at any time, has around 1,400 times more processing power in it than NASA did back in 1969 when it got human beings, whatever whatever it is, 380,000 kilometres to the moon and back. So that is just gives us a little bit of a, a little bit of context in terms of how quickly now things are developing. Think about it. Seven years ago, mobile phones didn't have anything like that processing power. Things will continue to get faster. We will find ways of having much more power, you know, around us, you know, in terms of computing in pretty much everything we do in every sphere of our lives. And what that means is that things will change probably in ways that we don't really, we can't really imagine right now because we're not actually able to sort of figure out how much, you know, how much change will occur because of these huge amounts of processing power that are going to, we're going to have not just our fingertips but running pretty much everything in the background. So it's all the stuff that's going on that we don't really see, whether that's kind of, you know, buildings or in our cities, uh, whichever way we, t- we, uh, we choose to employ it. It's exciting, and I think that maybe one way of looking at it is if you think back to sort of like the Industrial Revolution and the kind of the very early evolution of the internal combustion engine, that change didn't, wasn't just about the locomotive and then it wasn't just about the motor car. I think the changes that we need to think about are all these kind of fundamental structural shifts that began to occur. So the move from an ag- agricultural economy to an economy based on commerce within cities. The move from sort of clearly the move from the countryside to the cities, which was undergone by you know millions of people in Northern Europe and elsewhere. And all those things suddenly over the next 50, 100 years meant that suddenly cities grew, then suburbs grew, then you know all, all obviously in, in line with transport, transportation networks, and then retail changed. And then schools sort of had 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 to change, and then what modes of employment had to change, and then all these kind of things, you know, the the, the growth of the big box retailer, mm. all these things that kind of, you know, are all kind of knock on effects really of one piece of techn- technological evolution. That stuff's happened, you know, if you look at the history of man, that stuff's happened pretty quickly, really. You know, if we're we only just appeared right in the last second. If, if the history of the Earth is 24 hours, we'd look you here at the last second, right? So this last 100 years, 150, 200 years even, things have moved quickly. Obviously, we have a much higher standard of living and a much better way of life than anyone historically has ever had, you know? But things are only going to get better, we hope, as long as we don't destroy the planet. We're doing a pretty good job of that. We are, and, yeah, I think that unless, you know, frankly, we get to grips with global warming there are going to be you know very severe consequences but uh, you know let's hope that um that 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 goes much higher up the uh, list of priorities for for our political leaders and and well for everyone consumers as well everything that you were just talking about then is it's so progressive and so exciting and yet there is an intrinsic fear Mm. of change and there's an and i think that that can sometimes be quite apparent when you're looking at the future some people are resistant to the change into future yes do you think that that will change or do you think there's always going to be that slight fear of what's to come particularly when what's to come looks to be you know stuff that we could never even imagine yes yeah no i think that's that's a really interesting question if we can't imagine it how can we be fearful of it but then we're fearful of what we don't know so that does make a lot of a lot of sense but i think that people human beings they will adapt to technology if it suits their purposes and if it makes their life easier and if 
there are huge benefits to it. Now, I think that, you know, probably 10 years ago, most people, some people didn't even have a mobile phone. The smartphone hadn't been invented. Actually, just had, sorry. It's just been invented, like, literally 10 years ago. But, you know, you, you, you take my point. I mean, you can see devices coming onto the marketplace now, like Alexa, the uh, voice-activated um, bot from, from Amazon. That's really, it's quite interesting technology because it is meant to make people's life sort of allow them to act with the sorry interact with the world in really sort of smoother more seamless ways so instead of calling up a taxi service you order alexa to do to do it for you instead of you know ordering a pizza get alexa to do it for you and deliver it with a bottle of wine anything i think that makes people's lives simple is going to be accepted and it's going to be or, or, or smoother or you know, less or more seamless is going to be something that people are very keen to adopt i think that technologies that won't uh, that maybe will face resistance are technologies that either don't have a purpose or we find in some ways not you know uh, the, 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 you know, for instance, okay, here's a, here's a good example. So Google Glass. Google Glass, really good technology, and it's, it's going to lead to all kinds of interesting things. But people weren't quite ready for it. I mean, it didn't look great, obviously, so people weren't that great, crazy about wearing it. But what was interesting about it, that even though the technology is really, really advanced and it's going to take us in all kinds of directions, no one really wanted it. Right, and it's, even with the might of Google behind it, it didn't stick. So I think that you know, and this is a classic thing I think with with, with technology is that some things stick and some things don't. It doesn't mean to say that we shouldn't be trying interesting new things because I think Google Glass is going to you know, transition into something else eventually, and I think that you know maybe the visual interface and as, as with Alexa, the, the the oral interface are are things that we are going to be interacting with in really interesting ways. We won't just be using touch any longer. So I think that's kind of where maybe, you know, if we're looking ahead into the next sort of five or ten years in terms of kind of if we're looking at people transitioning into uh, using technologies in different ways that maybe they don't quite understand yet or don't know yet, I think that what technology will do in the, or, or how it will become, I should maybe say, was it will become a little bit more anticipatory mm. and a bit more... We used to have to give really clear instructions to machines, right? So... I'm sure you've seen people coding and they have the command line and that is a really specific instruction. And I think increasingly machines will be able to understand us in kind of like fuzzy ways. We won't have to be as direct with them. They'll, un- they'll know us, they'll anticipate our needs a little bit more. So I'm not sure I entirely answered your question about whether people uh, are good at, you know, slightly fearful of change. I think, yeah, it's a big broad thing. Yeah, people are, people are fearful of change, but I think that progress will happen. So it'll happen all with you or without you. Do you think it's an unfair misconception that that fear has anything to do with demographics? You know, that if you're under a certain age, mm. and you've grown up with all this technology, you are perfectly mm. happy and comfortable embracing it, you're excited about the future, and if you are having to learn it from scratch, that's when it becomes scary. Is that unfair? Yeah, there's some of that, I think. But I also think that... well, there's. I think eight, it's to do with who you are as a person. So there are people in their 60s and 70s who are, you know, most of the people who kind of invented Silicon Valley are, are at that age who are completely relaxed around technology and know how to master it. And there are lots of young people who maybe, you know, they, they're not maybe as adapted technology, sorry, haven't adapted in some ways to technology because they're so used to it being 
it, it'd be so easy for them. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So there's that. But I also think that, like, if you look at, say, services, if you're a big bank and you have to think about your customers, say you've got 12, 15 million customers, how do you actually create products that, on one hand, are for the 22-year-old who's only ever known the internet and mobile banking, and then at the other end, the sort of older person who maybe hasn't even transitioned to online banking yet, how do you create products and services that kind of bridge that gap in some ways and that's why I think there are you know a lot of the banks are doing interesting work there's the Barclays Digital uh, Eagle program at the moment which is trying to sort of promote uh, digital inclusivity and I think that that should definitely be a priority for any kind of government which is you know giving people access making life easier for them making sure that they can educate themselves that they you know we have an enormous skills gap in this country and we really could you know help people you know, in all kinds of ways, you know, socially, uh, as well as you know, drive the helps drive the economy, just by ensuring that there's this kind of digital skills gap is, is diminished in some ways. That's an interesting point. So I'm not going to name a name here, but um, CEO of a really big traditional commercial firm recently suggested that their staff cancel their subscriptions to one of their business titles and supplement it instead with a subscription to Wired. Thrilled <laughs> to hear that. What do you think that, and that was from a, that was from a CEO, you know, who um, has not grown up with technology, who is aware of how important it is going forward. And it wasn't a technology company either, it was a traditional company. Yeah. So how do you think that kind of thing is going to play into the future of technology in business? I think what's interesting for me is that when I first started working at Wired, which is, what, seven or eight years ago, it was sort of like a sort of slight out, outlier magazine for you know, people who are enthusiastic about the web uh, and about technology. And now, you know, just looking at the recent sort of news cycle, so everything from clearly the, the hacking of the DNA, the, the, the DNC uh, email accounts through to fake news through to the investigatory powers bill that passed through uh, the Commons and House of Lords just before Christmas through to a story, a story I was following just before Christmas about a, I don't know if it was a serial killer but he was some kind of killer and he'd met his, his victims on a dating app I think it was a dating app but certainly online all these stories fundamentally are sort of technology stories and I think that any business now that has a quote digital unit is, is, is kind of setting itself up for failure like every single business now should just be digital by default it doesn't matter what you do whether you're a bank whether you're an automotive manufacturer healthcare everything now needs to be digital by default but so if you kind of think of technology and digital as something that is extra or something that you think about afterwards like an add-on yeah an add-on then frankly you're going to get you're going to get you know flattened by the competition because the digitization of our world is an ongoing process that isn't, isn't, isn't ever going to reverse. You know, the world is becoming digitized. So you know, for most companies now, you know, their IP is their most valuable asset or their, uh, their database of their leads or whatever, whatever it is that they have in their, their sort of stack, you know, their business in their kind of business unit. So I think that any business that isn't going through this, I mean, and many have very successfully gone through this kind of like transformation. I think any business that is still lagging behind and thinking, 
well, we'll see how this all pipeline sale is is not going to be around it's in five late. or ten years. Well, I think it actually probably is. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of really interesting businesses, you know, that, that one wouldn't necessarily think about as being necessarily technology companies first, that are now thinking of themselves as technology companies. And I think that every business now is a technology company. It doesn't matter what you are. You are you're in the business of technology. And you should, probably should think of yourself as a software company as much as you think of yourself as a truck manufacturer or, or, or whatever it is. And finally, in your opinion, what is going to be the most significant tech advance or future trend that we're going to see emerge in the next five years? I know that's asking you to you know, really uh, come down hard on something, but if there's anything that you were going to pick, what would you say? I would say it's a really obvious thing to say, but I think artificial intelligence is going to really change things. And I think that we'll start seeing it in things like the way that we interact with our devices. So instead of maybe having an app that we kind of we, we go into and then we have kind of a service that's provided or, uh, through this particular app, I think that probably what we'll end up doing is we will just interact with messaging apps, so whatever, Facebook Messenger, WeChat, uh, WhatsApp, and that we will interact with bots that are kind of in, inside this app and that, that, that will be able to do things much more quickly for us. They're very simple AIs. It's just a bit, well, not very simple, but they are relatively sort of simple AIs and they, they allow us to do things much more quickly and much more effectively. And then we will start seeing that kind of cognition and, well, you know, to, to, to quote Kevin Kelly, the, uh, one of the founders of Wired, the way to think about artificial intelligence is... The way that we used to, you know, in the way that everything was electrified in the kind of 20th century and, you know, the 30s, 40s and 50s, that's going to happen, but with artificial intelligence. He describes it as the world, everything becoming cognified. And I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. So everything that will benefit from having some kind of artificial intelligence or machine learning or natural language processing will, will have it added to it and it will allow it to do things more efficiently. I know there's a lot of concern from a lot of people that, you know, there's going to be a, when we add this to sort of, you know, robots, there's going to be sort of like weaponization of these things and they're going to come against. I think that's probably a very long way yet because what machines and AI tend to do is to do one thing really, really well rather than multiple things. But who knows, I probably won't be around to uh, to, 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 to see it. So um, robot invasion not to be concerned about quite yet then? Not yet, although Stephen Hawking's a little bit worried about weaponization of AI, and he's much smarter than I am, so... (laughs) Well, what Stephen Hawking says, you know, people should take notice of, I imagine. But let's not dwell too much on that. Um, Thank you very much for joining joining me today, and and anyone that wants to hear more from Greg Williams, please join us on the 19th of January at the Design Museum for the Tomorrow Talk. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Emily. Really enjoyed it.